Welcome to Top of Mind with Concilio Wealth, a show about markets, investing, and financial planning. Join us as we cover current events that are in the news and answer top of mind questions from our listeners. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. This audio may contain statements that may be deemed as forward-looking. Any such statements are not guarantees of future performance and actual results may differ from those projected. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, tax, or other professional services. Welcome everyone to episode 26 of Top of Mind with Concilio Wealth. Today is June 19th, 11.24 in the morning. It is Monday. The markets are closed today for Juneteenth holiday. And how and I are connecting on our latest episode here to update everybody on what's going on in markets. Um, for those of you tuning in to YouTube, how brought the collar today, and I did not. I brought the Patagonia, so I appreciate flipped. you bringing it's flipped. Appreciate you bringing the class. On today's episode, we are talking about there's some conflicting stories in the media right now about money coming into the markets, money going out of the mar- out of the markets, uh, buying and selling pressure. We thought we would just bring some data to that. We're going to talk about Tex Run. There's basically seven stocks that have launched this market into a uh, bull market and into a pretty strong rally here this year. The S&P and the Nasdaq are both officially in a bull market uh, as of last week. And we've got some interesting stuff to break down there. Oh, the recession. That just doesn't seem to happen. So we'll just touch on uh, companies, how, how companies are feeling, how people are feeling. There's some new news there. And finally, inflation continues to improve. Uh, lowest expectations in two years. There's some data there on food and egg prices that have come down. How we have an ambitious agenda for today. Geez, let's start at the top. What's going on with markets in terms of the stories that are in the media on markets? Your money's flown into the market, money's coming out of the market. What's going on there? Yeah, well, I on our little agenda, we have two competing stories from, I guess, reputable sources, CNN and Bloomberg, each reporting something that's saying something different from the same story, if if that sense made sense. So let's go, um, I believe CNN was first with the Bank of America report saying private wealth clients have been selling stocks all year. Hmm. And they're... Bank of America is noting that as retail capitulation, meaning retail investors are just throwing up their hands and going to cash. They are tired of the volatility of the stock market, which I think is weird because I can't think of a better six-month run in a long time. Post-COVID. Tired of the volatility? You mean tired of the positive returns this year? Yeah, yeah. volatility upwards, right? market so, hasn't been negative anyway. Yeah, I, I would really question what that B of A report's saying. Um they they have an insight of what their Merrill so Bank of America is a Merrill Lynch, I guess owner. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- they have insights on what the retail investors doing, and if they're saying their clients, which they have statistically significant amount of them to make this a relatively accurate statement, right? They're sure. not saying it's about one or two people. It's thousands or possibly hundreds of thousands of of retail clients that are capitulating and they're just giving up and going to cash. And again, uh, cash isn't the worst place to be as long as you're a little careful. Um, you could probably earn four, four and a half percent on money market or 
high yield savings, right? Mm-hmm. So going there makes sense for the cash yield. Selling because of volatility doesn't quite make sense, as you said, Chris. Like it's volatility's been upwards. It hasn't been. We haven't had a lot of down days since since March. Nick Murray says, uh, "Why does no one call volatility in the markets, or why does no one call positive returns in the markets volatile? Only only when it goes down is yeah. that called volatile." Guys, we think volat- volatility is a bad word, and we yeah. think of down markets as volatility. Which, uh, the, to be fair, the market does look at. The VIX, which is the volatility gauge, it goes mm-hmm. up when the stock market sells off. It does. Mm-hmm. It actually goes down when the stock market climbs. Right. 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 And it's it's kind of a weird, weird dichotomy. But yeah, volatility is upwards volatility as well, and we're we're downward bias, right? We we always re- remember the negative side of things. Very true. Yep. So the next story is Bloomberg saying the same thing, or making it commentary on what the the client base is doing uh this time from td and they're saying retail money is rushing in to buy specific names like regional banks and other dips so they're saying the mean trade is back and people are rushing in to to invest (laughs) which td has millions of clients so their data does does most likely does support what they're saying but we're getting a lot of different Actors, I guess, acting in different ways. And again, the retail is kind of a bad word to lump lots of people together, right? I know lots mm-hmm. of very smart retail traders. I know a lot of dumb retail traders, to be fair. But you could say that about the smart money, too. I know a lot of smart, smart money and a lot of dumb, smart money out there. The average so, hedge fund doesn't return. so Yeah, and they uh, don't last very long, right? And they don't last very long, yeah. The ones that don't return, they close and open up a new one, so they have a fresh track record. <laughs> so, so basically, the rally is driven by, you know, a few names, as uh, Chris and I pointed out several weeks ago. But here we're getting people doing different things because they're probably playing a different game. So, Bank of America didn't did highlight their article and saying it was the high net worth clients that were pulling money out hmm. and TD didn't differentiate what type of, what type of clients were putting money into the struggling banks. And I think if you've listened to us consistently, we've been saying deposits have been continually coming out, been coming out of the regional banks. Yeah. Um, it's slowed, but it's still coming out. So how do you survive that as a bank? How do you survive a uh, heightened regulation as I'm sure post like uh, first republic you're going to see a lot more regulation on how they handle their their asset side interesting i wonder if that td study encompasses all of schwab as well uh for those that aren't familiar td and schwab merged uh to uh create a company that is not officially dubbed as schwab trade but sometimes people call it schwab trade i kind of do sometimes so Schwabatrade is now a huge, huge company, and uh, that's not the real name, but it's just kind of funny. <laughs> we're going to make such a thing, right? Yeah, we're going to make such a thing. So anyway, I wonder if that study is everyone there or just people still on the TD platform, which, again, is still a lot before the cutover, but I'm just curious on uh, on that data set that they're using. I would I would assume they're relatively similar because Schwab, TD, 
even fidelity fidelity have a a direct like control direct discretion from the the trader right yeah whereas yeah. uh unless you're with Merrill Edge but again most of the money's with Merrill Lynch proper mm. and you're most likely dealing with the advisor there or mm-hmm. someone who calls themselves an advisor and does the trading for you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so so I think that's where the difference there is um retail investors are prob- are winning um to be clear they've they've probably driven this rally at this point but um w- I use air quotes and the smart money has been shifting towards cash really all year and if you're working with an advisor the advisor thinks they could beat the market they're most likely pushing their clients towards cash if I'm if I'm just brought like painting with a really broad stroker to be clear, that's not us. We don't uh, recommend our clients go to cash. We nope. recommend that they stay <laughs> invested. We are buy and hold investors. Um, we are financial planners at heart. Uh, so we, we don't uh, believe in market timing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's not our that's not our game to lose there. So interesting. So then, what? This is a classic example of two different media posts, pretty much opposing viewpoints. But then you seem to be able to get some data that says money's flowing in or out of the market. What do you look at and how is that, I guess, where does that data come from? So, uh, yeah, a lot of the data comes, is reported through uh, uh, multiple sites. Uh, Refinit is one of the biggest ones, but what I think the biggest sign, I guess, is when we see an increase in money markets because a lot of the brokerage accounts will have a sweep functionality. When you go to cash, that cash is in your account for a day or two, and then it's what's called swept over to the money market fund. That's where you get your your bigger yields. Um, we've seen money market growth outpace the the withdrawals of of uh, regional banks or banks in general. So unless that bank withdrawal finds exponential growth that's been off the books that money market growth has has to come from brokerage how do you how do you generate cash in brokerage right well you do it by selling your stocks and bonds right and that's that's how we make certain logical assumptions again it's not going to be 100 percent perfect where you're going to say oh exactly two billion dollars came from investment accounts right mm-hmm. it's you got to look at the flows from coming away from certain institutions. And if it's all internalized, that means it's all transaction-based, which means selling is occurring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if we see the, uh, on the flip side, the market money markets shrink, but no new deposits have been added, that means people are buying stocks and bonds and using the money and deploying the cash. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of that we can pull in through Y charts, right? That's like a... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. really dependable. Mm-hmm data that's uh you know it's it's public information you just got to know where to look exactly yeah. okay let's shift over to tech's run so there has been predominantly seven stocks that have run like crazy this year um the nasdaq hit bull market a couple of months ago which a bull market is defined as a 20 percent increase off of a prior high uh excuse me a prior low uh the s p just hit that this last week so our sort of question here maybe my question to you is is it sustainable um i think yeah i think we mentioned the rally 
gosh, when was it? February before all the bank drama yeah. occurred. Yeah. And we, we questioned whether you should care or not, right? Especially for long-term investors. It's like, hey, this is nice to see bloated statements. It really is. Um, but if you aren't selling or if you're decades away from your, your timeline, if movements like this probably won't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, if, but, yeah, no, for, for commentary's sake, uh, if, if it's, is it a bubble? I don't know. I think it really is AI-driven. <laughs> a lot of companies have have mentioned AI. It, even Kroger, the grocery chain, has mentioned AI twice during the <laughs> earnings call, which I think is is showing shades of when crypto was at its high, highs. Mm. People unrelated to the crypto industry suddenly started renaming some of their stuff, crypto this or Bitcoin that, and they saw positive response from it. So is it their fault to try to boost their stock shares by insinuating that they're related to something when they're really not, right? Kroger, I can't imagine them using AI too much uh, above and beyond what they already are using. I can imagine a grocery store using um, like an AI system to fix their supply chain, which I think they're already using. It's not like they're developing a brand new technology there. They're just labeling AI. There's two emails that I got recently. I commented on this in another podcast here. Uh, This is May 26th. And it says, the highest number of S&P 500 companies citing AI on Q1 earnings calls in over 10 years. Uh, And then on Monday, June 12th, so more recently, the lowest number of S&P 500 companies are citing ESG. Remember when (laughs) that was the thing? Yes. ESG was a big thing that, that executives were saying on their earnings calls. And, you know, we are we are ESG. We have mandates. We have this. And yeah. then now that's sort of faded by the wayside. It doesn't mean it's not important. It's just not highlighted now on these earnings calls. And now AI is the only thing that companies are mentioning. And you'll see this mentioned 10, 20. I think the high was like 80 times on an earning call. Earnings call. Yeah. Crazy. So interesting to see, you know, you mentioned this, it sort of feels like in, in 99 and 2000, if you changed your name and put .com behind it, your stock jumped. So if you mentioned AI or mentioned to your point in prior times, crypto, your stock jumped. Um, be interesting to see if this has legs. Yeah. And it, again, the fever pitch is in my opinion, high, but is that a sell? I don't know. It. If if you benefited from holding the Nasdaq, good good on you. Yeah. Um, but if Nasdaq's your only holding, probably I'd probably be a little uh, worried and suggest a rebalance if you wanted to. But I think that kind of concentration period is that that's where you can see these booms and busts. Yeah. And diversified portfolios have across the board have not been keeping up. Right. So if you're not holding these blue chip stocks in a concentrated manner. You're most likely not keeping up with the S&P unless you're owning the S&P directly for 100% of your holdings, which, again, is pretty undiversified, relatively speaking, in a global sense. Mm-hmm. But you know, we have this article from uh, Goldman Sachs that says that, you know, the old economy most likely will have to catch up here. And the old economy is, at this point, anything but big tech, right? Mm-hmm. So... Uh, if you own, you don't have to look far. If you own mid cap and small cap, you're most likely lagging. So 
Oops, let me see. Let me. I thought I would be smoother with the sharing here. No, this is good. Yeah, I wanted to touch on this because the small and mid-cap U.S. space, so smaller companies, has not done well this year so far up until a week or two ago. And it hasn't done well because of the small regional bank stuff that has a bigger yeah. concentration to that space. So I, I'm glad you're touching this, on this. I was going to ask you to touch on it anyways. Yeah, I was trying to be a smooth uh, segue here with the... Uh... A screen share because we're sick excited that this functionality is dependable for us. <laughs> and, okay, and I so thought I could pull it up faster. Yeah, and for those that are listening, not watching, can you describe what's on the screen here? Yeah, it's a year to date chart with the S and P on the top line. Um, it's up sixteen percent. I'm rounding up. Technically, it's fifteen point seven eight percent year to date, and the Vanguard mid cap and the Russell two thousand are lagging notably. They're positive. They're up 7%, uh, 7.2% and 7.3% respectively. For, but for, con for context there, the Russell 2000 is the 2000 smallest stocks in the U.S. Smallest, yes. Smallest publicly traded stocks. And then mid-cap is anything, I believe, over $5 billion. Um, mm -hmm. Depending on how you define mid-cap, that, that cap, I guess, vacillates. So there are some managers out there that consider mid-cap like uh, – 20, 20 billion or more, mm -hmm. or 20 billion to 50 billion. Mm -hmm. um, but again, uh, if you're not in the trillion dollar range, you're probably mid cap in this world. So um, you could see the big divergence between uh, the S&P, it's up 16%, which is an incredible run. The NASDAQ, as Chris mentioned, is up even further than that because the NASDAQ has a higher concentration of big tech. So uh, if you're not owning any of that, the smaller and mid-cap companies, which I think uh, Chris and I agree that you should have some ownership in, right? Diversification does matter, even when it's lagging. Uh, what we're saying is there there could be a catch-up period here with with maybe the AI craze settling down or at least stabilizing a little bit, and I think everyone what, else has the opportunity to catch up. I think what's most interesting about this is that it it flipped. So let me just describe what's going on here. So the uh, the month of January, which was a great month in markets, the yeah. S&P was up about 7% for the month. And we were talking internally like, gosh, just close the markets for this year. 7%. Great. That's exactly what we need. Of course, that didn't happen. But uh, S&P was up about 7%. The mid-cap mid index was up about 10. Uh, and the small cap index was up like 13 to 14 Great. Yeah. So small did the best, mid did the second best, large did the third best, all did fine. That's historically what you would expect with smaller companies being a little bit more risky than bigger companies. Also easier to grow a uh, $500 million company to a billion than a trillion dollar company to two trillion, right? Uh, then the that outperformance continued all the way until just about early April. This is when the start so, of the regional banking stuff happened. Yeah. Silicon Valley Bank is probably the biggest. Silicon Valley Bank. Yep. Yep. And you saw uh, small companies go from about a plus 10 on the year all the way to about a minus one, and then as low as maybe a minus two, minus three. And mid sized companies also uh, went down in lockstep. Uh, the SP also came down, but still was positive in that same time period. So up like one or two, and then just immediately recovered and is where it is today. Mid and small companies have been largely flat, 
by flat, I mean down a little bit on the year and up a little bit on the year, like down two, up five, kind of that range, all until about two weeks ago. And it went from zero to a plus a little over seven, uh, essentially in a week. And both of these are now uh, both mid and smaller up about seven. Yeah, and trying to catch that upswing there where it starts to close the gap on the S&P. And that, yeah, that, that date where Chris mentioned in late, early June there, I think that's, one, we didn't get any news that says, go ahead and buy small caps, right? <laughs> We've always banks been are saying, fine, buy small yeah. caps. We've always been saying that. And I think that's, I think that's where it makes um, diverse, diversification and staying invested in your you know, pre predetermined allocations is going to be the way forward here because one, no one ever guessed the S and P and the Nasdaq would be what it was at the beginning of the year. I could promise you that, right? Everyone carried a pretty negative sentiment heading into the year. Yeah, but you should have had exposure to those two core pieces in your portfolio. And even though small cap was leading the way pretty healthily in February. The fact that it gave it all back and is lagging the S&P does not mean it's a bad investment, so to speak, right? Well, look at all the opportunities here for FOMO, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, I, I did the right thing. I diversified. I own some small and mid companies, and I'm at zero on the year. And then I also have this thing called the S&P that's up, you know, at the time, maybe maybe nine or 10. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. So I sell the thing that's, you know, flat on the year and I buy the thing that's up nine or 10 or 12. And then that thing goes up by another four or 5%. But then the thing I sold goes up by seven or eight. It's like, ah, oh, I did it to myself again. Yeah. So many opportunities for FOMO here. And this chart to me just speaks just patience. Just keep, keep holding. <laughs> yeah. just stay patient. It's only six months. Even a year yeah. is a relatively short window to look at. So if let's say you are lagging the S and P in a year, Stick to your guns. There's going to be times where it does flip flop, but don't use the S and P as a barometer. I think that's that's a very poor standard, as Chris likes to say. Uh, the standard in pours is a poor standard. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. So there's some sort of media press on the old economy catching up, and I just wanted to highlight this because last week the Fed came out and they said we are not raising rates, but we are pausing. You know, we're pausing for now, right? What what was the specific term that they used? How? Uh, Jerome Powell let it slip out that he you, that he said skip. He skip. says, and then yeah. he went back and said, "I did not mean to s say skip because in technical terms, Fed watchers say skip means you skip once and you are resuming hikes again." Mm. And he did not want to imply that. He did say that though, so I think that's a big, big flub of words when you're skipping versus a pause. Pause is an extended period in in Fed speak. Right? Yeah, skipping a pause in normal people's worlds might seem very similar, right? If I'm going to skip something, I'm going to skip it, right? Or I'm going to pause on something, I'm going to pause it. But there, skip means you're going to resume going up the very next round. So we're expecting a hike in July. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. But the thing I noticed when that press release happened and they said we are skipping is that you saw the Dow go up more than the NASDAQ that day. And the Dow tends to be, the components of the Dow tend to be these blue chip old companies. World. Yes. Yeah, old, the old world, as, as, as I guess one would say, right? They're dividend payers. They make a lot of money. They're profitable. They they're tend, tend to be more consistent in their, their price. They don't crash around. It's not going to be 
I want to pick on, say, like Meta, right? Meta's moved a ton in the last 12 to 18 months. You know, down 70%, up another 100%. I mean, crazy, right? You generally won't see a component of the Dow do that. Um, versus NASDAQ, you're going to get these, these, you know, big ups and downs. So what I noticed on that day was when the Fed came out and they said skip and maybe more to come, I think we're reading between the lines, Dow companies went up and NASDAQ companies sort of gave a little bit back. Is that the old world or the, you know, 493 companies in the S&P that haven't done much all year finally starting to come back? It could be, and it could be uh, the, the narrative that we've been pushing, admittedly, that when rates are higher, growth com- growthy companies that don't pay profits immediately are suddenly more expensive to own, right? Because the alternative right. is holding 5% in your savings account without taking any risk. Uh, here, um, companies that that are part of the old world are focused more on returning shareholder value, giving cash back to the shareholders through buybacks and through dividends. And when that, that, that flub came out, a skip versus a pause, suddenly put two more hikes on the table on the year, <laughs> and suddenly that narrative is coming back for value, value-ish companies that return cash sooner, mm. right? Versus the, the metas of the world that don't, don't pay a dividend because they're they're taking the profits and reinvesting, reinvesting. in R&D, yeah. Right, right, which is more of a long game versus a, I can get a dividend in this quarter or next quarter yeah. by buying this stock, right? Yeah, and I park that dividend in a high-yield savings account. I'm earning 5%, where in 2020, I could care less about the dividend because my high-yield savings was earning zero. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so recession, the dreaded R word. How are companies behaving with this? Just what's your thought? What are you seeing in the news with kind of CEO confidence and uh, consumer confidence with regards to the the who knows when recession? Yeah, and I think this is an extension of how people feel about their own lot in life versus how they feel about the country. It's like, hey, Biden's driving us off a cliff or Trump's Trump's going to destroy the economy where they, they think the, the macro isn't so great. But when asked about their own personal outlook, Oh, I, I'm I'm doing big things. I'm going to be great. I think we could extend that to companies individually as well. Where uh, you look at Restoration Hardware, with the really fancy mm-hmm. uh, store that sells restorative hardware, I guess, but mm-hmm. no, really just furniture and High decorative furniture. stuff, mm-hmm. right? Um, they the the CEO has a lot of things to say about how bad the economy is, but it has a lot of good things to say how how people are spending money on high priced home goods. So I think that I'm just using an example. I'm just, um, I think we're seeing that with a lot of CEOs where they're saying their, their industry is going to suffer or their Mac, the, 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 <laughs> the nation's going to start slowing down on spending, mm-hmm. but you had CEOs of uh, Lowe's and uh, each Home Depot come out and say, well, our company's going to be doing just fine. Mm-hmm. So they had this this weird split about how the big slowdown's coming, but they're going to be somehow immune to it. What about this point you have here on companies are hoarding labor? What does that mean? So labor hoarding, I think that's what we're seeing with the unemployment rate at 3.7 now. Unemployment jumped from 3.5 to 3.7, which is a big move at yeah. those low levels. But that was more of a result of people re-entering the workforce, the, the layoffs... I know we've read about 
high tech layoffs happening, mm-hmm. but that's a drop in the bucket relative to, you know, yeah, yeah. the Hyatt and uh, these hotels hiring. So I think labor hoarding is a real thing, especially if you're a small business where it's been what a two, two tough years of hiring or firing because the labor shortage. And when you finally do get someone through the door, I think whether, whether or not you see a slowdown, I don't think you're going to be parting with that newly hired person when it Hmm. took so much effort to get them in the door. Hmm. Interesting. So labor hoarding is companies could potentially hang on to people a little longer because the economy is, people are still spending. So they need those people to fulfill orders and keep shelves full. And because yeah, the demand is some oddly still high, right? Demand is really high. And then if we do actually get a recession and that actually does lead to lower spending, then possibly those people are, you know, let go, there's a layoff or something. But the, I guess the hoarding concept is interesting because these people are definitely needed right now. Yeah. So is hoarding related to these companies might hold on to people even through a recession because of fear, like the fear of a quick recovery and then needing to rehire? Or we'll define that a little bit further. Yeah, I think it, a lot of it has to do with the prospect of not overhiring like the Amazons of the world did, right? Like Amazon and Microsoft sure. hired like crazy. Yeah. And they're, they're the companies to work for in America. So if they want to hire you, you're going to go work for them, right? <laughs> if you had other jobs on the table. So, but everyone else who wasn't them, still struggle to find people. And I think getting those initial employees in the door, one, a lot of the two industries still have not yet gotten to their um, pre-COVID levels, right? And that's that's hospitality mm-hmm. and that's leisure, right? Mm-hmm. And I think those those, hi- those hiring is still going to continue because, yeah, if, even if there's fewer people checking your hotel, you're still very, very vastly short, short-handed. And... I think you're going to hold on to a little bit of surplus because you still need to get where you need to get to even baseline. And when that most recent jobs report came out that actually had an uptick in the unemployment rate, um, which I think largely is actually a good thing because the Fed is sort of looking for that. So that's that is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, Leisure and hospitality jobs was the biggest contributor to the job gains report because the jobs report was insanely good. It was like 100,000 better than predicted. Yeah. But something like 80 percent of the jobs created in that in that, uh, that period all went to leisure and hospitality. Yeah. And I think in face of a slowdown, I don't think those industries especially will, will be as quick to lay off. Mm-hmm. Okay. So inflation, inflation has been getting better and better, meaning it's been coming down and it's been coming down really across the board. Um, I guess you have a comment in here, lowest expe- expectations in two years. We've got also some data that egg prices are coming down. So um, egg prices, just to read this here, egg prices saw the largest monthly decline in 72 years. Uh, Month over month decline of 13.8%. It's the largest drop since January of 1951. Average cost of a dozen large grade A eggs was $2.66 compared to a whopping $4.82 back only in January of this year. Are you noticing that? Are eggs coming down for you? So I, yeah, that that price difference you mentioned would have saved you $2.16. It's a lot. 
And if you bought percentage. egg, yeah, depending on how many eggs you bought, right? So if you went grocery shopping every two weeks, I'm going to be fair and say every week. So four times you saved $8.64 a month. Um, I get two again, gallons of gas out of that. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> no, well, down here it's 1.1 gallons of gas here. Oh, okay. Um, well. But yeah, I think if your budget was that tight where $8.64 is the issue, um, I could see it being an issue if you're a uh, rent- restaurant or someone who consumes tons of eggs for whatever reason. Um, I don't, I don't see the that price drop in an absolute sense making a huge deal, other than producing other things, right? So to the average grocery shopper, they probably wouldn't even care. Okay, but my point is, I'm not seeing those prices fluctuate. By the way, I don't know where these two dollar and sixty six cent eggs are because mine are way probably more Kansas. expensive than that. Yeah. Kansas, <laughs> yeah, God. maybe we have an egg tax in in Washington. Yeah. I don't know, but. Uh, not that, I mean, what eight bucks for a dozen, nine bucks for a dozen, something yeah. like that. Anyway, uh, not two sixty six. So, but my question and my 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 point in my question here is, I'm not seeing the prices of things fluctuate at the grocery store as much as what I'm reading. Uh, this article goes on to say, uh, overall, meat, poultry, fish, eggs, uh, that whole category is lower by 09 percent month over month. Dairy and related products are down point uh, six percent. You know, ice cream and related products are down too. Um, other things like biscuits, rolls, muffins down 1.3, bacon and other meat products down 1.4. Um, yeah, who's capturing that that delta, right? Most likely butter the down six. Exactly, and this this is my question. And so I'm just not seeing prices move down. In fact, I feel like prices are stubbornly high. I don't know. Are you actually seeing, maybe are you seeing more sales where you are? Are you seeing things come down? Are you, are you kind of experiencing what I'm experiencing, which is cauliflower is still expensive. Asparagus is expensive, you know? Yeah. I think it has gotten to a price level and it stayed there regardless of what all these wholesale prices are doing because yeah, you and I both know we, we pour over the CPI data we both know that the price of groceries have broadly come down for the past three or four months. Right. And we're not seeing in the grocery grocery prices, at least not yet. I, I feel and like I made the, the ar- argument ahead, that sorry. the prices have to go down because it's a perishable, right? If you don't sell eggs, those eggs go bad, right? Yeah, you don't sell milk, the, the milk goes bad. Good point. You got to bring down your prices, but um, I'm personally not seeing it here mm. in California. It's probably because there's just so much demand still that regardless of egg prices, right? Are people willing to, who shop weekly for eggs, willing to pay $8.64 more for each dozen of eggs for their four purchases, right? Yeah, yeah. And in California, yeah, would that impact them? Yeah, for sure. If that, if you buy that much eggs, you probably should be substituting, which both Target and Walmart have been saying that's been the case. A lot of people buy more of the white label stuff. Hmm. Well, and that's, I think that's really your point is that prices don't fall unless demand falls. And so if people are just spending on whatever the prices are, it doesn't matter why, why drop the price. And then that would suggest that the wholesale cost of these products is really being capped. So the wholesale cost is going down from the farms, but that would mean that then the grocery stores are capturing that, yeah. that Delta. Well, if you go upstream a little bit, we talked about Unilever who makes Hellman's mayonnaise, they raised their prices uh, 13.4% this year. 
and volume only dropped 1.3 percent. So people aren't as price sensitive. Again, to be fair, Heinz, do they make mayonnaise? I guess Heinz has famously jacked the prices on ketchup and mustard, Hmm. and they lost very little volume off that too. So people are still buying this. Pine nuts are insanely expensive. Like I've stopped buying them. I'm allergic. (laughs) Oh, good for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's not good, but it, it's uh, <laughs> insanely expensive. I mean, even at Costco. And so, anyway. Okay, while we were talking here, I decided to ask Bard uh, for some insights on our question here. And our question is, basically, are grocery companies screwing us? <laughs> right? If prices are going down, um, you know, who, who's benefiting from that? Because I'm not seeing it at the store. My question here that I asked, uh, by the way, I was impressed with the answer because I thought this question was actually kind of complicated. I said, based on Wall Street data, for Q1 and Q2 earnings, are grocery companies like Kroger, Safeway, and Albertsons seeing increased profits and also and also issuing better than expected guidance for future quarters? And Bard says, yes, uh, grocery companies like Kroger, Safeway, Albertsons are seeing increased prices and issuing better than expected guidance. According to a recent report by Wall Street and analysts, these companies are benefiting from a number of factors, including rising food prices. As the cost of food has increased, grocery stores have been able to pass on these higher costs to consumers, which has boosted their profits. They're benefiting from strong demand. Grocery stores are also benefiting from strong demand from consumers who are continuing to spend on groceries even as they face rising prices and efficiency gains. Grocery stores have also been able to improve their efficiency, which has helped them reduce costs and boost profits. I don't exactly know where that's coming from, but that's interesting too. Uh, As a key result of these factors, grocery companies are issuing better than expected guidance for the future. For example, Kroger recently raised its guidance for the fiscal 2023 year, saying that it expects to earn somewhere between $3.85 to $3.95 per share, up from its previous guidance of $3.70 to $3.80 per share. Grocery stores also face some challenges, such as rising labor costs and supply chain disruptions, although supply chain disruptions have gotten better. Um... Uh, it says above, I asked it a different question. It says that the average grocery store worker has seen an hourly wage increase of 7.4% in 2022, which is, which is yeah. a lot. Yeah. Uh, lastly here in some, so just some specific amp examples of companies, how they performed in recent quarters. So Kroger Q1, 2023 Kroger's earnings per share increased 11% year over year. Uh, the company also raised guidance for fiscal year, 2023 Safeway increased 10% year over year. Uh, also raised guidance for the rest of 2023 and Albertsons, uh, 14% year over year increase company also raised guidance. So there you go, folks, grocery stores are sticking it to us. Well, they're eating our lunch, right? Cause everyone else (laughs) is lowering guidance. Discretionary spending is going way down according to Walmart and target. Mm -hmm. It's because food prices are still insanely high. And yeah, Kroger, the same Kroger that mentioned AI twice on the earnings call. So there, there's a incentive for, especially the C-suite of these grocery stores to maximize shareholder value, but it's yeah. coming at the expense, expense of everyone else, mm-hmm. right? They, a lot of it, a lot of the inflation could be solved by lowering the damn grocery prices. And unfortunately, these are publicly traded companies that have yeah, the fiduciary responsibility to maximize shareholder value. And you could see where that shareholder versus stakeholder conflict comes from, right? Because they're raising prices. That's on us. That's on our backs because we need to eat food, right? And mm-hmm. we're paying higher prices. So CEOs at Kroger 
can make a massive, massive payout. Um, I think it's, it's, so Target's also reporting the same thing and, and Target has multiple different business lines, kind of like walking to a Fred Meyer, they, they yeah. sell everything, but Target does break out grocery and, and other things. And they've also commented on the same thing. So, um, yeah, it seems as if grocery stores are keeping prices high. Um, we'll see if it comes down. And as we've commented on many times, how maybe it takes a recession to get there, people stop spending and finally prices actually drop. Um, we'll see. Yeah, and again, the silver lining is the the workers earning a seven point four percent raise. Yeah, but that's I think really good. In, yeah, and then the inflation landscape. Uh, I know Pepsi and Coke have famously do- raised their prices double digits, so they are outpacing their wage wage gain requirements that they're paying workers. So, right. So, so we're getting it not only from the grocery stores, but as with the uh, Unilever example with Hellman's. I have I, Hillman's mayonnaise. I've never heard of them, but apparently they're fancy enough or popular enough to raise prices by thirteen point one percent and still still maintain a relatively level volume. That's a lot. I mean, that's like a full probably a full dollar on whatever a jar that is. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Multiply by millions, right? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Last one here. Well, quick hat tip to Bard. That was cool. Um, I plugged this in. Oh yeah, new, new title before. to get a lot of attention. Uh, how and Chris use AI to to break yeah. down grocery. Concilio stock grocery just went up by fifty percent because we just commented on AI. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I just popped. How and I were talking before the before we hit record here on on Q one earnings, and I was like, how do we get like some sort of a grocery store index, and we can see, and there isn't really one, and so I'm like, oh, let's just ask bard and so i plugged it in here uh, admittedly i first asked chat gpt but i don't pay for it so i'm not hooked up to the internet with chat gpt so i went over to bard and uh i'm impressed I'm impressed with the answer i guess i have no idea if it's accurate or not but it should just be pulling <laughs> it should just be pulling data from public uh you know public information which is these earnings calls which yeah is my figures were from the new york Times, and they corroborate what chris said <laughs> yeah so if, well you might be off a few percent, but I, I think we're in the ballpark. I mean, if Bard is quoting me these exact figures, it's just coming from earnings calls, which is exactly what yeah. I wanted it to yeah. do. I wanted it to read the earnings calls for me and give me the two lines that I wanted out of everything so that I didn't have to do all that. And and it did that. So that was cool. So hat tip. Nice job over there, Google. <laughs> um, okay, last one here, super quick. Home builder sentiment is at a one-year high. Across the 50 mark, uh, anything above 50 means positive sem- sentiment, anything below 50 means uh, slightly negative. Uh, it's currently at 55, and that's for the first time since July of 2020. Anything Ooh. above 50 is expansion. Expansion, So 55 is super healthy. Yeah, wow, yeah. So a couple comments that were interesting here on this article. Um, this came out today because the, the home builder sentiment was released today, even though the markets are closed. Um, foot traffic is high. So for new developments, there's a lot of people walking through, a lot of interest. Um, they said that that started recovering January of 2023 and has only just gotten better. All home builders are commenting on how supply chains have eased. So that has helped them deliver product sooner, faster, and at lower cost. You know, the price of lumber is no longer ridiculous. Um, they also said that financing is harder to get. So for some of their projects, um, you know, financing or closing to, to do these builds is more difficult. And they did point to all the issues in regional banks are uh, part to be blamed on why this is is harder to get. We commented on this 
in a previous episode, half or a little bit more than half construction uh, loans, yeah, are of construction loans banks, and, and, and all loans in the U.S. are from regional banks. Regional yeah. banks are incredibly important to the cycle of the U.S. economy, and uh, if people don't have confidence there. You know, Chase doesn't want to, you might think they will, but Chase doesn't want to issue a, a $5 million loan to do a project. They might be interested in 25 or $50 million loans, but they're just, you know, it's just too big. Uh, so interesting that that kind of tip over to regional banks was made. Uh, lastly, most buyers are not actually paying 65 to 7%, according to this article. That's kind of the current stated rate. They said that most buyers are actually under 5% due to builder incentives. So builders yep. are buying down rates in order to support their prices. So if I'm selling a house for $950, i am going to kick in whatever, $15,000, $10,000, $7,000, whatever it is to buy the rate down so that I can still sell the house at $950 rather than sell the house at $940 and give a consumer a stated rate. And actually, it's better for the consumer because the consumer paying a sub 5% rate for say 30 years, which is typically people buy a 30 year fixed mortgage, that's a better deal um, relative to just simply having the house for 10 grand less. Uh, they also went on to say that 90% of outstanding mortgages are under 5%. It's pretty much everyone. And the problem is that that is what's contributing to uh, the positive sentiment in home builders did I say home buyers at the beginning? Home builder sentiment. I think is you what said I builders. Yeah. All right. Good. Good. Yeah. I hope you did. Checking myself here. Um, that's partially why home builders are so confident because they know that a lot of people aren't selling their existing homes. So many of the new homes hitting the markets are the only homes hitting the market, which is what's pushing prices up and why their sentiment is so high. So um, anyway, just an interesting sort of uh, synopsis on what's going on in building and the real estate market even in the face of quite high interest rates relative to where yeah, they are. Yeah, I think existing home prices have come down slightly. Yeah. But I think if you're listing your home, you most likely would get multiple bidders if you were listing. Even because if I were selling my home, I wouldn't be able to buy down points for the buyer, mm -hmm. or I probably wouldn't want to do that in, like in terms of, of financing. But I would probably still have multiple bidders. So I think it still is a very relatively strong seller's market out there. I've heard that bidding wars are back. And so we'll see. I'm just impressed. I'm impressed that with higher rates, uh, but, <laughs> yeah. but again, may, maybe there's something in those contracts that says, I'll pay you this much money, but the seller says, you know, they're going to issue a $10,000 seller credit to buy down your rate or something. I don't know. I don't know. Not on the inside there. No. And I, again, the, the Fed's goal is to slow down prices. I don't know if this really helps because Anytime people move in a new house, it's going to get filled with brand new furnishings, right? And does that re-spark inflation? I don't think so. Because um, I think, I, I said it was a supply chain issue or supply-driven issue. I think that's the case. Anyone who wants a couch doesn't need to wait eight months for it anymore, right? In fact, I can confirm that. We were, were looking for a, a, a couple of pieces of furniture, so... Yes, I'm contributing to inflation. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I haven't bought yet, though. But uh, we were on a handful of sites last night, Crate and Barrel, Pottery Barn, et cetera. And many things were saying they could ship like next week or into yeah. July, early July. Whereas not that many months ago, it was 12-week wait at minimum to, to get anything, even a rug. It's like, where is this rug? Do you need to hand, hand spin it to send it to me? You know, so... 
uh, I think a lot of a lot of that uh, supply chain stuff has much much improved. Yeah, and I think that's what we've been saying since we first started the pod right a year ago. That it was supply driven, and yeah. I think we're seeing the loosening of it, but no one notices or cares like a prices, but. We we are seeing a huge improvement outside of cars too. Car uh, car dealers could probably live in their own universe for a little bit, but but goods are generally down. Like if you're in the market for a TV, it's most likely the best time in the last two two three years probably. Mm-hmm. For the record, I do care about egg prices. I eat a lot of eggs here. <laughs> we should buy some chickens. We we've been talking about that. We want to get some chickens, but uh, we just think that'd be fun actually. But um, yeah, prices are crazy. So, anyway, I'll report back when they actually go down. Yeah, which will probably be yeah, right to Kroger <laughs> or whoever your send a letter. Send a letter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, Hal. Talk to All everyone right. soon. See you, Chris.